Good morning, church. I am so pleased to be with you to share this morning on Mother's Day. I was greeted this morning by several cards and a flower. Um, I had been offered breakfast in bed, but I said, well, we have to be at the morning service. So I gave up breakfast in bed to be able to share with you guys today. But I'm so happy to share with you. Um, some of you know that I recently traveled to Bolivia <clears throat> excuse me, to visit my grandmother, who's not doing very well. And there are a few things that happened on that trip, and that's what I want to start off talking about today. Um, I was standing at the bus stop with my uncle when we were standing there for a few minutes, and he said to me, well, maybe we should go to another stop. And I said, what, is this not the right one to the hospital? He said, well, sometimes they just don't decide to come this way. And I was like, oh, okay. As it turns out, one of the new things they have in La Paz, a very, very busy city, is that people own kind of like these vans, and they drive people around, and that's part of the transportation. So sometimes, if they've made enough money, they will decide to end their day. So you could be standing at the bus stop, and they just won't show up. So that's one example of just a little inconvenience. Then another story is I'm going with my cousin, and they have these little kiosks where you can buy a few items, and they sell bread there as well. So we were kind of in a rush, and I said, maybe we can stop by and grab some bread and just make a sandwich later. And there was a handwritten sign that said, there's bread. So I turned to him and said, let's go in there. He said, well, we'll see. So we went in, and I said, can I have a bag of six buns, majaquetas, which is what, how you call this bread in Spanish? And she's like, oh, we're out. And I'm like, oh, but the sign, and it's even, you could take down the sign. Anyhow, it's my home country that I love. Last story, on the way home from the, on our way to the airport, after nine days of being away from my kids, where I'm so ready to come home, it's 4 a.m., it's pitch dark, we're in the car, and my cousin turns to me and says, oh, guess what, there have been some, like, landslides or maybe, like, rocks on the road, and I'm like, do you know an alternate route? He's like, well, no, it's the Alto, it's tricky, and I'm like, Looking at him, sure enough, there were boulders and and rocks, and he had to find an alternate route. Well, I'm standing here today, so I did make it home. (laughs) These are just a few examples of little things that happen in life that are unexpected. But as I have come to know over the course of my life, a lot more can happen that is unexpected. Sometimes we have hopes and dreams And they either don't come true or something radically different happens in our life. I don't know if this has been your experience, but it has been mine in many ways. And this also happened to the woman that we're going to talk about today. So we're going to look at the next slide. And as we were reading our scripture reading, it comes from the book of Mark. Today we're going to look at the story of this woman who touches the garment of Jesus. It's in recognition of Mother's Day and also because we're in Baptist Women's Sunday. We're going to look at our title, which is Because There Is More. God gives us so much more so that we can do the same to others. This story from the book of Mark has many layers to us and will talk to us about what this more can be, what God gives us. So we're going to look a little bit at what Baptist women do locally and globally And today I want to suggest that the more has to do how we respond to suffering. I think today's sermon is very fitting in the series that we started last week. How many of you remember the series that we're in, The Pursuit of Happiness, which Pastor Richard also makes reference to as a better expression as The Pursuit of Joy. And he talked a little bit about suffering. So I feel like today's sermon will fit kind of in that series. 
I was quite impacted a few weeks ago. How many of you remember the cardboard testimonies that we had at the service? I was very impacted to see that a lot of them reflected people's journey with suffering. But if you think back, there was something that a lot of those stories had in common. A lot of them made reference to how this community had been a part of being with them or journeying with them in the suffering and had been a part of what God had done to bring healing. So that is what we're going to look at today as well. I suppose it's fitting that I'm here before you today because my mom was a missionary in Bolivia with Baptist women. I won't say how long ago because that will show you how old I am. So, And Baptist women have supported the work at Oasis. This church has supported my work at Oasis. So it is with deep gratitude that I stand before you here today. But And so we're going to look at what God has on our hearts for us women today. But you men won't get away from discerning what God has on your heart today. At the very least, you're making lunch for mothers, I think, today. <laughs> so let's dive in and see what this story has for us today. <clears throat> I find it's very helpful that when we look at scripture, it can be very good to look at the context. I don't know if many of you know what was happening in the book of Mark when this story was written. Some of you may remember that it was actually Emperor Nero that was ruling, and that name may ring a bell as someone who was um, despotic, and he was a very harsh ruler. You may remember that there was a big fire um, at, in the year of AD 64, and just to give an idea of that fire, out of the 14 wards, only four were spared. And then rumors spread that it was actually Nero that set the fire. So he does all this stuff to try to like assuage these rumors. He lowers the price of wheat. He builds parks. Sounds like po- some politicians today. <laughs> but then he goes quite a bit further. Up until now, up until now, Christians had been spared and they hadn't been martyred. But at this time, Nero decides to say that it was the Christians that set the fire. So the Christians become the scapegoat. This is when we start to hear the stories of Christians being martyred. And some of you have heard or read stories about this where Christians were set on fire, Christians were tortured, and they were, they were also crucified. So it is within this backdrop of suffering that Mark is writing to the Christians in Rome. So they are suffering deeply. So some commentaries will say that Mark was written with the intention to provide strength to the Christians who were suffering. So let's keep that in mind as we hear this story. It's also interesting that in the book of Mark, we see funny little details that Mark includes. So we hear details like the presence of the wild beasts in the wilderness when Jesus is in the wilderness. We hear the nicknames of James and John. We hear about the use of a fisherman's pillow in the scene of the boat. We find out the name of the blind man who receives sight. So Mark does these things to make his writing more vivid. It's also interesting that Mark also preserves the emotions that people go through. He notes the stunned reaction of people, the fear and the amazement of the disciples, but also the anger and indignation and godly sorrow that Jesus experiences as well. So all of this is done to place the listener at the scene so that it evokes emotion as the reader is glancing at these pages. Next slide. So why don't we do the same? Why don't we try to imagine 
vividly what was happening at that time. Let's try to imagine this scene. Was it a sunny day? Was it cold? We know that they were by the sea. We know there's a crowd. We know from the scripture reading that Jesus has been just asked to do something by an important person, by Jairus. It says that he had, Jairus had fallen at his feet. He had thrown himself before him. He had asked him to do something important, to go heal his daughter. What else do we know about, this, about the context around this verse? We know that Jesus has come into town, and what has been happening? People have been receiving their sight back. People have been taught amazing things about the kingdom of God, how it's like a mustard seed, how it spreads and grows. Lepers are being cleansed. Sinners are being forgiven. So much has been going on. And all of this takes place after two key events in the life of Jesus. See if anybody can think of those two events. What happened before all these wonderful things started happening? Healing, miracles. Two things happened. One is the baptism of Jesus, where we are told and we hear of the voice from heaven that pronounces that Jesus is the beloved Son of God and that God is well pleased with him, which I would say is the same, the true of us today. And then Jesus goes off into the wilderness for silence, solitude, and prayer, right? So, back to where we were. The context. There's excitement, there's anticipation, there's a crowd. Jesus has just been asked to do something important. And then something happens. Another person comes into the scene. There's a woman. What are we told about this woman? That she's had a flow of blood for 12 years that she suffered much, that she'd gone to many physicians. How many of us have tried to have had to go to many physicians with our healthcare system? In her case, going to many physicians meant that she had undergone financial strain, that she had spent all her money trying to get better. Maybe she's socially isolated. We know that she is seeking something. Even just that picture, she's reaching out. So what does she do? As many others at that time, she seeks him out. We've heard of others do desperate things. We've heard of a paralytic being lowered through the hole. I mean, how would that be if people just came and made a hole in here to try to... That would be pretty astounding. What does this woman do? She reaches out. She seeks Christ. And she does this out of an inner motivation, out of a thought. The thought, if I even touch his garment, I shall be made well. And so she does. And this part gets very interesting. She touches him. What does Jesus do? Remember in the passage, what does he do? He He turns and he says, who touched me? Just imagine that. And the response of his disciples is almost comical because there's this big crowd and they turn to him and, and they say to, they say to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? It's almost like they're saying, um, what do you mean? <laughs> Everybody's touching you. <laughs> Jesus does this because he knows there is more than what the physical eye can see because there is more. 
Jesus looks around, and then the woman comes forward. She falls down before him, and she knows she has been healed. And what does Jesus say? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is a very interesting statement. One commentary says the following, and listen to this. The final words spoken to this woman, go in peace, are a traditional valediction, but here are informed by her entire experience. The peace with which she departed signified more than release from agitation over a wretched existence or fear of recrimination for having touched Jesus. It was the profound experience of well-being, which is related to salvation from God. When Jesus declares, be whole from your affliction, he confirms that her healing was a permanent, was permanent and affirms his act of participation with the Father's will to honor the woman's faith. Because there is more. So much more is happening in that moment than what the naked eye can see. This woman receives healing and wholeness, and Jesus uses words to affirm her and tell her that she is to go in peace. In this story, we see that this woman suffered for many years and had come to find economic hardship due due to her quest for healing. She may have experienced social isolation as well. Next slide. Now, in my time at Oasis, I've been there for over 16 years. I have met many women like this who have suffered as well. Baptist women are involved at Oasis, and the women at Oasis includes ministry to newcomer women in Canada. Many of these women have suffered economic hardship. We also have a food bank. We run groups, individual counseling for women, ESL. And a lot of these women, the idea is that as women leave isolation and get involved in either individual counseling or group, then they also have the opportunity to give back as well. Uh, One woman shares her story. Um, She gave permission to share part of her story. She had been living in a violent situation at home and left that, was in a shelter, and then finally was able to access government housing and was more stable. Um, But as she shares her story, she received a lot of supports from Oasis in terms of the food bank and clothing and a lot of different supports. But when she is asked what impacted her most, with tears in her eyes, she says that that, that it's at Oasis where she met Christ. And knowing that she is deeply loved by God and that God has a good plan for her is what has changed her life. Next slide. Baptist women also support work overseas. And I have had the great privilege to witness firsthand the fruits of the work in Bolivia. I visited Casa de la Amistad, where many of you know and are well aware that children are in prison with their, with their moms. In fact, I was just chatting with Nicole the other day about the work that this church did in Bolivia last year. So Baptist Women has been involved um, heavily in Bolivia. Currently, the work they support um, supports local churches as they reach out to their communities. When I was finishing my time at seminary, a professor said some one sentence that actually changed my life. She said, she recommended, she said, you would be well to develop a theology of suffering. I thought, oh, okay. As as you will be working with those who suffer, spend some time thinking about that. Little did I know how much that sentence would change my life. I have spent many years studying and also working with those who suffer. 
One author that has influenced my thinking about suffering is Phil Zilla. He teaches at McMaster, and he wrote a book called The Roots of Sorrow. In that book, he talks about suffering. He talks about how scripture looks at suffering. He talks about suffering as having different dimensions to it. He looks a lot at the book of Psalms, at Lamentations, and how we will see that when a person is going through suffering, they can cry out to God, acknowledge what's happening, and we see that God is there. There is a lot of value in acknowledging our suffering, talking about it with a trusted person, but that's a whole other talk, so we won't talk about that today. Suffering can carry different dimensions, physical anguish, psychological anguish, social degradation. And as I stand here today talking about suffering and our role in it and how we are to persist in suffering, knowing that we are deeply loved by God, I want to acknowledge that suffering carries a certain mystery to it and that when you're in it, it's real and it's hard and it's hard to persevere. So I don't want to say that it's easy or make light of it, because I've had my own journey with suffering. And when you're in it, it is very hard. But we are to persist. We are to persevere. Looking back at this woman in the story, we know she had physical suffering. Perhaps she had psychological suffering because she was isolated. But you see, there's something about this story. This woman had something. What did she have? She had faith. Right? She had faith. And what does she do with that faith? She takes action. She seeks Jesus. She's persistent. She does her part. How do we do our part? How do we take action? Are we persistent? Next slide. In my experience, I believe there are several ways we do our part. Think about it. How do you persist? How are you persistent in seeking God? We persist by reading the word of God. We persist in prayer, even if we don't feel anything. We continue to hope. We continue to be in community. We continue to show up. Do you remember what Pastor Richard said last week about people that may be in a situation of despair? He talked about that a little bit last week. He said, you show up. I believe that this is a part of how we are persistent. We continue to do the things we know are part of God's redemptive work. We do our part, and we do this because we believe there is more. There is so much more to the reality of God's kingdom than what our eyes can see on this earth, even when it's hard, even when it feels awful, even when it feels hopeless. I would suggest even more, especially more, when it feels hopeless. Christ came to this woman. He came to her town. He left his throne. He went pretty far, but she had to do something. She had to leave her home. She had to reach out. She had to put volition to her faith. And what are the other ways that we do our part? I have come to know the deep value of silence and solitude. In my journey, when I needed to find a measure of healing, I took some time off for a silent retreat. It was nice to have some time away from the kids, too. I can say that on Mother's Day, right? 
How is it that two days away of me locking myself in a room, reading scripture, reading ten passages of Isaiah out loud, how does that bring healing? I don't know. I think it's because it reminded me that the kingdom of God is real, that the kingdom of God exists. So if we receive this grace, if today we know this to be true, if we know this truth, what are we to do with it? 2 Corinthians 1.3 says the following, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. So are we to keep it to ourselves? We are to share it. Next slide. As I was telling you about my trip to Bolivia, I was having a conversation with my cousin, and um, he was telling me a story about how one of his new passions that he has, and he's taken up running, but not like a marathon or a half marathon. See, he runs like 85 kilometers. Um, He just finished a, a run yesterday. How long does it take to run 85 kilometers? It's like 15 hours. And I was, I was practicing my sermon yesterday with Sarah, with my daughter. And when I was at this part, she said, she said, that sounds torturous. And I would agree. So my cousin has, has taken this up. And as we were talking about this, I'm like, how do you even do that? Like, is that even good for you to run for 15 hours straight? It's mountain running and it's in the dark and it's cold. And I mean, I can't even imagine what the body goes through to finish this sort of a race. So when we're talking about all of this, he started sharing with me that there's so much more that goes on than meets the eye. That for him as he runs alone, there are so many factors that contribute to him being able to finish the race. First, he mentioned to me that he doesn't train alone. He has a friend that he trains with because a lot of preparation goes into this. I mean, you don't just wake up one day and say, okay, today I'm going to run 15 hours. Like, it's just not possible. So it takes a lot of discipline, a lot of preparation, and he does this with a friend because he has to be diligent about taking the time to do it regularly, to be persistent. Then he talks about the people that, you know, when you see in marathons, people that hand you the water or the towels. So they have that at these races, and sometimes they're allowed to stop and eat, but he can't, like, consume a big meal, right? Like, it's not not in the middle of a party here. So he says he eats almonds or light things. So people will come alongside and provide that sort of thing. But what I found remarkable was what he said mattered most. He said there were times of severe discouragement, the deep desire to quit. I mean, literally, right? Your body's screaming, no, this can't go on. And then people would come alongside him and yell, keep going, keep going, And he said, that's what makes a difference. He also said that his friend would come alongside him and run quietly beside him. I mean, they're not talking, right? I mean, I can't even talk if I'm trying to run 2K. They're not talking. They're silently running beside each other. This made a world of a difference to him. 
so much so that he was able to finish this insane race. Sometimes life can feel like an insane race, full of suffering. Our body, our soul, our heart can scream, no, this can't go on. And much like in this race, the body of Christ, us, we, we are called to come alongside those who suffer. Sometimes we'll be called to simply be beside the person in silence. How many of you, how many of you know that to be true? That there are moments that call for silence. Hopefully our silence will be filled with prayer and with care. Hopefully our silence will scream at the face of injustice and bring a measure of peace to those who suffer. Sometimes we'll be called to provide water and food, sustenance. Sometimes we'll be that voice of encouragement that stapes with deep certitude. And what are the words that we bring? What about words from the Psalms? What about, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trouble. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. What if we come alongside and say, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry. Or from Isaiah, this is what God says. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Next slide. So what are we to make of all of this? I don't know where you are on this journey, on this race. Maybe some of us are going along okay and just need a little encouragement to continue. Maybe some of us are suffering silently. And it's my hope and prayer that God's truth is speaking to our hearts today, offering hope, and maybe even screams to us that we are not alone, that nothing can separate us from God's love. Maybe some of us need to be encouraged to step out, to ask God who we can serve, Pastor Richard was talking about that last week. When you're suffering, ask, how can I be useful? What a great question. Who are we being called to run alongside with and be part of that wholeness and healing that God longs to bring? Jesus said to the woman, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Maybe for some of us women, some of us mothers, We long to hear that today. For all of us, it's our prayer that we can turn towards him and know this to be true. Amen.